Welcome to the Global Discussion, discussion with creatives, leaders and thinkers. My name is Simon Hodgkins and today I'm especially delighted to be joined by Minette Norman. Minette, you're very welcome to the show. Let's begin by asking you to introduce yourself and tell us a little bit about what you do for our global audience. Thanks for inviting me, Simon. Yes, I'm Minette Norman. I'm based in the San Francisco Bay Area and I spent 30 years in the software industry and left that industry in 2019, not quite sure what I was going to do next, but knowing after being 20 years in leadership roles that I wanted to do something to help leaders be better leaders. And I decided to find a niche and my niche is really inclusive leadership with a strong foundation of psychological safety, because I found it was all too rare to have leaders who knew how to lead diverse teams and create conditions for everyone to do their best work. Today, I am an author, a speaker, and a consultant who helps leaders and their teams really create the conditions where everyone can thrive and innovate and fully contribute. Well, that makes a lot of sense. And as you mentioned, um, a career that you kind of skipped over, but I'm sure that was intense. I'm sure it had plenty of highs, lows, and everything in between. Um, obviously, being involved in that area in the neck of the woods and the part of the world that you belong in, it's a very fast-moving industry. So I'm sure you've seen an awful lot. But let's let's talk more about leadership then, because you mentioned you're an author. Let's get into the book, because you wrote a book called Boldly Inclusive Leader. What was the purpose of writing the book? What does it contain? What's what's sort of the, some of the core messages that you're trying to you know get out there, Minette? It is funny that you said I skipped over the 30 years. It's not to underestimate the impact of those 30 years and really starting as an individual contributor and ending up as an executive. And that a lot of that is in the book. So why I wrote the book? Because, you know, like many people, I got promoted into a management role because I was good at something I did. And that is so common. We promote people who are good engineers or good writers or good designers, and we make them managers and leaders. And we're so ill-prepared to lead human beings. And I realized because I did lead starting small and then leading huge teams at the end of my tech career, I realized I learned so much over those decades, but it took me a really long time. I didn't have great role models. So when I wrote this book to provide, I wouldn't say a roadmap because it's not linear. <laughs> the journey of becoming an inclusive leader is not linear, but I, I really structured this book to be usable and practical and also full of stories because I know that people connect and resonate with stories from other human beings. So I included lots of stories from my own tech career and from other people's experiences. And then I, I offer ideas of ways we can individually work on our own behavior, how we show up as leaders to create the conditions for inclusion and belonging and innovation and thriving. And I also offer chapters on team dynamics. For example, how do we create a psychologically safe environment? How do we run inclusive meetings, which people don't seem to understand that there are really great methods to use, but we just go into meetings and unconsciously run meetings where two people dominate and everyone else stays quiet. So I have a lot of practical advice. And then in each chapter, I include questions to ask yourself because I believe this work needs introspection. And 
I offer practices. What's a weekly practice? What's a daily practice that I can do? Because we don't, unfortunately, I wish I could say I'm going to flip a switch and make you a boldly inclusive leader, but it takes work and it takes practice and it takes making mistakes along the way. And so I offer ideas for how can we keep doing this work both individually and in groups. And so in a nutshell, that's sort of an overview of what, what the book's all about. And it's meant to be really accessible and, and I hope enjoyable as well because of all the stories in there. Yeah, and it really is almost a, a distillation of all the, the learning, I suppose, if I could maybe use that, that phrase. Um, and you mentioned, you sort of said, you know, sometimes, and I think people resonate with what you said, sometimes you may not have at different points in your career great leaders around you. It might actually be the opposite. And you're struggling yes. to understand, you know, what that next step is. And often because you're good at a role, something else that you mentioned, you find yourself being promoted up, you know, what used to be termed the corporate ladder. Yes. Uh, and before you know it, you're sitting on boards and you're running divisions and you've got lots of people that you're responsible for. And you're now responsible for a P&L and you have to drive sales or whatever, whatever you're involved in. Um, but it does come down to people, doesn't it? And you touched on psychological safety. And you've talked, touched on inclusive leadership, two really important topics in their own right. But do you think it's getting better? Obviously, from a 30-year arc, there's obviously been a tremendous amount of change. We've just come through a pandemic. We're now in this world of flexible, more remote-first type working, for example, not in all companies. But where do you think we are on the scale of companies really embracing this new required form of leadership, Minette? It's such a complex question with not an easy answer because I think, yes, we have made progress, certainly over the decades. I'm a little frustrated by how, how slow the progress is in some ways because I think we are definitely, I mean, even 10 years ago, we didn't talk a lot about inclusion. We didn't talk a lot about empathy or psychological safety or more compassionate leadership. And we are talking about those things now. And I also think leaders are struggling. And this is this is where I see the struggle. The struggle is driving business results is what certainly what executives care about. We think about what are the financial results? What are the products that we're delivering? And often when we think about culture and inclusive leadership and DEI topics and all of these things, they're considered a little bit nice to have. They're a little bit off to the side from, I am driving a business. I am running a P&L. And when I have some cycles, I'm going to work on improving the corporate culture. And I think this is the struggle that many leaders and executives have is they feel that they need to focus on, you know, especially if they're a publicly traded company, they need to satisfy the shareholders every quarter. And what I would like to suggest, and I hope is happening, I see it happening in places is that we stop separating these two, this idea of business performance as separate from culture and realize that if we invest in creating an inclusive and safe culture where everyone can fully contribute, you will have those financial breakthroughs. You will have innovation. You will have engaged and motivated and retained employees. And you can't neglect that work. And so that's where I think the struggle is. I do think we have made progress and I also think we have a long way to go. Yeah, I couldn't agree more, Minette. And I think, you know, the two areas that sprang to mind as you were speaking there is driving business results is obviously important. But the other part of that is attracting the right talent to your organization in the first place. And whereas some of this, I think you're, you're perfectly correct in what you're saying, 
it's kind of something I, I might have got to uh, a few years yes. ago or maybe a decade ago. Whereas now, it hopefully it's more of a boardroom topic. It maybe it's on the CEO's agenda because I think the people that you need to join your organization, that skill set that is required to compete in today's highly complex technical environments in a lot of cases, um, people don't want to work for companies where it isn't inclusive leadership, do they? Where they don't have psychological safety. Um, and I think that that's a, that's a real, in this world of AI, dare I say it, it's a real human important quality that we're all, we're all looking for, isn't it? That is so true. And I couldn't agree with you more. We, I really believe with, especially with AI and everything going on in technology, we need to double down on the importance of being human and retaining our humanity in the workplace. And you're right. It is, we have to pay attention to attracting and retaining the best talent. And you are also correct in saying that the workforce today and the younger generations especially are not putting up with some of the things that we put up with, I put up with earlier in my career because we didn't we didn't know there was another model of leadership. And now, you know, if you look at Gen Z or whatever, they're demanding that we work in an in empathetic, inclusive environment where I can show up as myself and where leaders care about me and where there's purpose and meaning in my work. And that's what that's what our workforces are demanding. There's a really interesting report, and I don't know if you know about it. It comes out of the U.S. Uh, it's by a company called Business Solver, and it's the State of Workplace Empathy Report. Have you heard of that, Simon? No, I'm not. I'm not too familiar with it. No, but I'm. I, I will eagerly jot that down and make sure I go and check it out. But share a little bit about it, Manette. Yeah, the reason I bring it up is because you're saying that the people now are demanding that they work for a different kind of leader and different kind of company. What this latest report, the 2023 report from Business Solver shows is that employees all over, and I do believe it's a U.S. study, but I can imagine we could extrapolate it globally. Employees are demanding that they work for empathetic leaders who care about their well-being and that they're not getting enough of that, that they are really looking for something more than what they have. And then the contrast with the CEOs who are surveyed is that the CEOs think that they are highly empathetic and that they have created empathetic organizations. And the poor HR people in the middle are caught because they have these discontented employees who say this, this environment is not empathetic. And the CEOs thinking, we've got this figured out. And there's a real gap. And I think empathy can also be extrapolated to creating an inclusive environment where people feel they belong, that they're cared for, and that their leadership really is human and treats them as fellow human beings. So there's there's an issue going on still. Yeah, well, thank you for bringing that report to not just mine, but our, our global audience's attention. Uh, because people interested in the topic, that's certainly one they should go and check out immediately. Um, what about your own um, inspiration? You know, where do you go to to sort of follow best practice? Who who do you admire? How does that work for you in your your world today? When I was still in tech, I'm going to go back a little bit because I've been inspired for many years by many people. But when I was still in tech, I, my last job was I was VP of engineering at Autodesk and I was leading a team of a thousand and I had to influence like 3,500 people. And I realized what I needed to learn more about was human interaction, even neuroscience, collaboration, empathy, all these topics. So I started to read everything I could find. And back then, this is going back a ways now, but I started to read 
Renee Brown and I started to read Amy Edmondson and I was really just following a lot of thought leaders in this space. And in fact, Amy Edmondson's work is where I got very interested in psychological safety because she's the, the world renowned researcher on that topic. So I still follow her. I got very interested in Frances Fry, also from Harvard University and her work with Anne Morris. And uh, in fact, Frances endorsed my new book, which just totally meant the world to me. They have a new book out, uh, Move Fast, and fix things as opposed to move fast and break things. So people doing this work on making workplaces better for everybody and really embracing the human aspects of work. And all of those people that I named are academics. So I admire the academia and I also admire the practitioners. I'm, I'm much more of a practitioner. I'm, I don't have an academic background in this. So I admire people. Also, I, I follow a lot of really interesting people on LinkedIn and I I admire the people doing this work every day and how hard this work is when you're not in an academic setting, but you're actually having to work with teams of people. And there are people like Lily Zhang on LinkedIn who wrote DEI Deconstructed and who relentlessly posts incredible content and doesn't shy away from controversy. There are people like that that I follow on LinkedIn. So there are many people I admire. I wouldn't say just one, but I am constantly looking at what other people are doing. Uh, another person I really admire is Karen Catlin, who wrote Better Allies. She also comes from a tech background and then became a consultant and speaker and author. And she puts out this newsletter every week called Five Ally Actions that everyone should subscribe to. So these are these are some of the people that I admire. There are many, many more. Well, thank you for sharing that, Manette. That's some, some additional great value to people catching up with us on this episode today. Um, I want to talk a little bit about your consulting work as well, though, because obviously, mm -hmm. as well as the book and as well as the topics that we've been talking about so far, obviously, you're helping people who are looking to create this sort of vibrant and inclusive environment, uh, which obviously is is very leadership focused, you know, and I know you, you help people to sort of craft those unique strengths that they, they may need uh, to achieve the certain breakthroughs that they're looking for. But what about advice, you know, for people that are looking to make a start in this area or maybe have suddenly realized that this is that gap that you were talking about earlier? What advice would you have for people that are looking at this from the get go? Uh, what advice would you share with people? The, the first piece of advice I always give is to start with yourself and your own behavior and really do some introspection and some examination of how do I show up every day. And sometimes I do this work when I'm consulting with leaders is sitting in on their teams and seeing the dynamics. But the, the first piece of advice is how, how do I listen to the people on my team and the people I work with? Am I only listening to the people that I feel the most comfortable with or that I resonate the most with? Am I ignoring or even punishing the people that disagree with me? These are some of the ways we have to start to be very bravely self-aware and look at our own interactions and or even lack of interaction. Like, do we ignore the people that challenge us? Uh, this is honestly where we have our un often unconscious biases showing up. We gravitate to the people that agree with us, that maybe have the same background, whether socioeconomically or education or culturally or whatever. But ideally, we have a diverse workforce and we need to figure out how do we work with the people who maybe make us uncomfortable and not to feel that I'm a bad person because I feel uncomfortable with someone who's very different from me, but 
I am human. And this is how we are as humans. We are evolution from an evolutionary perspective, drawn to be tribal and be with people like us. And in the workplace, we need to break through that. And we need to find the way into how do I have a conversation with someone I have nothing in common with? This is the work of, this is the beginning of the work of being an inclusive leader. And then as I do for, you asked about my consulting business. So I often come in and sometimes it starts most frequently with a talk or a workshop just to give people some big ideas. And then I think the real work begins where I might come in and work with a team over a course of several quarters or several months and see, okay, now you've been inspired to do some work on being more inclusive. What's it looking like a month and two months down the road? What is working well and what are you still struggling with? And this is where I think the profound work happens. And so I'd love to have these longer term engagements so we can we can get into the real nitty gritty because none of this work is easy, honestly. No, I, I agree totally. And in terms of your own approach now to the work, because you have this, you know, technology uh, background, uh, you, as we were mentioning earlier, you've worked with some very well-known brands uh, mm -hmm. and huge teams of people. So you're no stranger to planning. You're no stranger to what's going to happen next quarter, what's happening over the next six to 12 months, where am I trying to move this organization to? But today, from your vantage point today, how do you go about planning today? What does the next six to 12 months look like for you? What's on your horizon? What's on your roadmap? What are you hoping to achieve in the, the world that you're in today, Manette? I think you've touched on one of my weak spots, actually, which is, and I was really good at planning when I was in the business world. And as a solopreneur, I am not the best planner. And I'll tell you why. It's not that I don't love to plan and I don't love to have things I can check off my list. But I find that it's very hard to predict what's going to happen. Who's going to who's going to hire me? Who's going to book me to speak? Where am I going to be? You know, I'm just getting I'm getting a bunch of bookings right now for next year. It's like, oh, I, I have something in March coming in and I think I'm free, but then I'm actually not free because I'm waiting to hear about another opportunity. So I find in the work that I'm doing now, planning is a little bit hard. So because because some of it is so unpredictable and we don't know when clients are going to have budgets and when they're doing their events. So that that's a little bit of the challenge. I will say though, I am thinking about what's what are the bigger things next. So I before I wrote the boldly inclusive or actually while I was writing the boldly inclusive leader, I wrote this. I co-wrote another book, the psychological safety playbook, with my co-author Caroline Helbig, and that book has taken off and people really love it. And so one of the things is we're thinking about: do we want to do another version of that book or something else? related to it. So there may be another book in the work starting in 2024. I want to do as much work as possible on this Boldly Inclusive Leader book and concept. And so I am, I'm looking at, I just have a new speaker reel that's about to be finalized. I'm looking at doing a lot of speaking engagements and ideally with teams that want to do the work, not that just want to bring in a speaker and check a box, but want to bring in a speaker and say, we want to go deep on this work. So that's my, that's my goal for the new year, the next six to 12 months, and then figuring out how to reach the right clients around, not just the US, but around the globe. It's it's wonderful to hear you speaking about look while I was writing this book oh yes I just happened to co-author another book that's really taken off and I think that talks to the you know the career that you've had the ability to manage multiple things at the same time um, and it sounds really exciting that you've kind of got this landscape coming together over the next twelve months 
more speaking, more consulting, more clients, another book on the horizon. Uh, it, it sounds really, really wonderful. Uh, but I wanted to ask you before we run out of time, Manette, um, is there anything else that you'd like to share with our audience while we're here today? Any sort of last thoughts or parting advice? And secondly, and of course, importantly, if people want to book you to speak or to find out more about the Boldly Inclusive Leader book or the next book, uh, <laughs> or a bit more about inclusive leadership and psychological safety, where do you want to point people to? So I think the easiest place is straight to my website, MinetteNorman.com. I have a lot of links there, lots of material, and you can get in touch with me through there. And as well as on LinkedIn, I'm happy to connect with people and engage in dialogue. And you asked if I have one parting thought, and I guess this is what I, I would say, because I do not want to scare anyone away. I know I said this is hard work and it's an ongoing journey. And I don't want anyone to be really frozen with the fear. What I want to say is, even taking a small step and making one change in how you interact in the workplace can make a huge difference. And so my advice is take that bold first step, see how it goes, and then learn and iterate. Don't get frozen with fear. That's my parting advice. Well, that brings us nicely to the end of this episode of the Global Discussion. Thank you to everybody who's been watching or listening to this episode. Make sure that you follow, like, subscribe. Do everything I need you to do to help support the podcast and make sure that you tune in again to hear more discussions with creatives and leaders and thinkers just like Manette. And of course, go over to Manette's website, check out all the wonderful work she's doing in this area. Thank you, Manette. It's been a real pleasure to catch up with you again today. Thank you, Simon. I really enjoyed the conversation. 